0: We just met you, and this is kind of crazy, but here's our podcast, so listen, (laughs) maybe? Welcome. Welcome. It's been a long break, guys, but welcome back to the Wobbly H. Everybody's here. Conrad. Hello, hello. Grant. How's it going? And special guest, actor, director, writer, glasses wearer, Jared Hillman. Hey. Dino DNA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm wearing a dino DNA shirt, because... Uh, Jurassic Park makes me, makes me happy. It's like <laughs> how he says
1: it, though. Donald, DNA. Bingo! <laughs> it, I, I,
0: I was kind of hoping that that would be part of the intro for the ride at Universal Studios. Oh, yeah. And that would actually make serious. you sit through the video tour. I and you're know. watching the science. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You have to try to get
2: out and break <laughs> the thing. And it takes about maybe like two and a half pushes to get out of the thing. <laughs> I agree. You know? It just agree. says push harder on the
0: screen. <laughs> that hurt, John. so it's been a while let's uh work our way around and end with our our guests obviously conrad what have you been up to in the last three or four months um just trying to do more auditions and stuff
1: i was able to get a call back from mcdonald's but i didn't get it but um just trying to hustle and still do more you know how it is so what, what was that
0: process like were you, were you actually like holding a McFlurry or
1: something no it was like i was like a bellboy or something and it's funny because the guy that i actually um was about to go into the audition with was a guy from how high you know the um method man his name is i think i forgot his name but he had like the unibrow and he's like the girl goes opens the door is like what is that he's like it's the buddha mark or it's the the trademark of buddha and then she goes no it's the shit mark of buddha okay i guess i'm the only one that (laughs) sees how high but i was like oh you're really funny (laughs) but um i was just like darn it would have been really cool but it's okay mcdonald's is gross anyway (laughs) But that's it, basically. So,
2: did they have to? Did they ask you to wear a bellhop uniform? They
1: said to look professional. Like I remember the description was, um, "Just look, you know, wear like a like a tie, look professional as if you are going to be the manager someday." And I was like, "Really? That's That's so descriptive. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) descriptive." And I was like, "That's cool." What did you wear then? What did you wear? I wore. Thank you for asking. I wore um, black skinny jeans, kind of these um, totally different for you. Black wingtip kind of shoes. Um, a blue uh, collared shirt with a tie and a cardigan. My glasses, a smile, and um, that's it. I guess they didn't like it. Maybe they're racist. <laughs> Just kidding. They're they're not. There's a lot of
2: McDonald's is an equal opportunity employer. <laughs>
1: That voice again. There goes that voice. So sexy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's basically it.
0: So What's so. the update on that Google commercial you shot? Dude, back?
1: I've been. I haven't heard anything, man. I've been trying to look on YouTube. Um, I have to ask my agents, but um, I fucking hope it's not like shown in Africa where they don't have TV and stuff. That would <laughs> suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Conrad is an equal opportunity racist. <laughs> McDonald's. Don't know where it is. That's it, man. That's like the t- all I could think of when I didn't get it. I was like, damn, I should have added that little da-da-da-da-da. I was like, I can't, I don't have a flex capacity. That was a so difference maker
0: when they when they were talking about the candidates. I'm like, oh, he didn't he didn't do the jingle. <laughs> you didn't do the no. So <laughs> <laughs> you walk in next, for lunch, like you haven't had lunch yet and you're holding a bag. Like, Man,
1: this is real good. <laughs> it's really good. Tastes like real food. It's super awesome. <laughs> but um yeah. <laughs>
3: was that documentary that they show about what our chicken nuggets are made out of or how they're made
1: oh I saw a picture on like Facebook it's like pink looks like saucer. yeah what do so you remember with that it? yeah, it, yeah it's like, like a it. pink
0: slime right yeah. what, what was, was the movie? documentary you saw that one? oh I don't remember I watched too many I know so I was like, you always tell me like, you should watch this one it show you all these things but it's, like, it's supposed to be all like natural well all real chicken I wouldn't say natural Yes. Yeah. but uh um, all chicken chicken selects whatever <laughs> um all right. Well, third degree black belt improv. What? what what's your life been like? Uh, it's been yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> sorry, third.
3: Did it go on? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, um, I haven't done anything actually. The last couple months, just chilling. <laughs> to tell you the truth. Just like yeah, because uh, my in- intern credits are run out, so I can't get free classes anymore. So I've uh, been working and trying to get more classes. That's about it. Enjoying my birthday. Nice. How was that?
0: that was. It was excellent. Awesome. would you say that you were there for his birthday conrad i was oh, really <laughs> or did you say you were there too alex yeah i i would say okay. that
3: no yeah so that's sorry to be so boring but yeah it's my life just relaxing and working
0: you download the old jordan Knight? i hear that's a really good album
1: i'm waiting for it it's taking forever to find that album <laughs> Can I uh, tell you guys, I've been trying to add new kids on the block on my Instagram, and they haven't accepted my request. <laughs> really? Because I just want to see Jordan Knight, and I'd be like, dude, awesome song. <laughs> 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 I swear, but they're mean. Yeah.
3: So, Look back to me. I, I'm just trying to make some money so I can take more classes and start doing stuff. I
1: think everyone's voice is super sexy, but mine, <laughs> what is happening? I'm just trying <laughs> to match it right now. Jared, his his like voice so is so
3: <laughs> smooth. It's like yeah
2: it's just the way it is That sounded
0: good, yeah, so. yeah, damn Jared. you should consider like audiobook narration as like a I agree that'd be cool i 'd love to
2: do edge. that i'd love to do that you I, I just ha- start
0: recording your own autobiography
2: oh yeah, I'll just start talking about myself starting from birth
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but as a baby,
0: So, so warm. day. <laughs>
2: and then cry oh so. yeah, I could, that would be a, a great exercise in voice acting as you as you. Try to do all your voices at every point in your life, have you done any yeah. voice acting i've done some when I first started acting, I actually did more voice than other on camera work just that was what I happened to be booking um, and that was a while ago. that was when I was in New York City, and my agents tended to represent me on in different you know in different forms so my Commercial agent and my theatrical agent was the same as my voiceover agent, and cool. you also had multiple agents so you actually had different companies submitting you for this for for voiceover roles and whatever roles at the same time and uh, when I moved to California, things were much more segregated as far as departments and agencies you know so my agent currently I have a theatrical and commercial agent at this at one company and they represent me in some some voiceover capacity Mm -hmm. but here in LA I feel like there are companies that really specialize in voiceover uh representation like you know for all those kind of guest appearances on cartoon series Mm -hmm. for radio and voiceover commercials um I feel like a specialist in those areas is kind of required here and I'm and I haven't uh haven't pursued that really yet.
3: Uh, it, it's pretty, yeah. It's like a fine, like it's so segregated. Because I remember meeting a guy. He does uh, voiceover work, and he does like you know all the video games. He does like ah, uh, oh, uh, and like it's like eight hours of that. Of like you know like you know, video games where somebody gets shot. Like it's got to be an older gentleman and three ways to die. Uh, uh, a middle aged person. Ways to die. Yeah, it's like ah, yeah, uh, like he exp- I don't know. He was explaining some way like that.
1: You're really good though. It sounds really good. I want to hear the I'm dying again. <laughs>
3: It's like his last breath. No, that, but no, it was funny. That stuff
0: gets crazy because I remember um, Nerd Moment, like one of the last Halo games, they actually recorded like a, a gurgling sound for that rare occasion when you get shot in the throat. Oh. Huh. Uh, yeah. So like in certain kill scenes, you get... I'm like, Jesus. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's that took,
0: like a 100 takes too. Like, yeah, that. one more time, please? we got to get cleaner. We need more gurgly.
2: Clean well, I did do an actually, I recently did an animated uh, sort of an animated pilot of sorts called Zombie Murder Explosion Die. <laughs> uh, for a, it's a, yeah, it is. They call it Zmed, but uh, for, oh,
3: I like that—that's even better. That's know,
2: it's for a, a com- an independent company called uh, Sonic Bunny, and they put it up on Machinima. And you know, it was—they uh, first did a trailer, and Machinima had them do a full-on pilot, and so I was able to do both of those. But we did have screams, you know, it was definitely, there were some screams. I wasn't a zombie. I was sort of a teenager who, you know, survived the zombie apocalypse and now have to be an unwitting hero, you know? So there were some there were some, you know, those efforts kind of sounds, you know, some running, you know, all that stuff. And like, you know, you go in there for a half hour, you like, you do a few lines of dialogue, you do a few grunting, a few moaning, a few screams, a few, you know, just general like efforts, like impact efforts, like, you know, things like that. And it's, uh, it's quite interesting. That's kind of like the icing on the cake. You do the, you do the main written scripted dialogue first, and then you can go ahead and
0: you know make the noises Make noises. yeah if i could ever have a sound of my voice saying oh my groin i'll know i've made it there it is right <laughs> there we have it as a ringtone that's <laughs> my ringtone right there
3: so alex what have you been up to
0: oh my god this, it's like... funny because for a while i was just chilling yeah like yeah. you and then i went from doing nothing to insanely crazy <clears throat> over the last weekend so we just got oh, wow. funding for our next short okay cool. uh called the moneymaker Mm. Um. So we're officially in pre-production. We're casting. Um, I guess I suppose I'll take this out of the podcast if it shouldn't be in here. But uh, Bob Picardo has signed on for, uh, oh, for I see it. You. So um, he's most well known as the PE teacher in um the Wonder Years and the Doctor on Star Trek Voyager. So um, lost my mind. Sorry. <laughs> exciting business there. Um, I have a comedy showcase on July twenty fourth at the Comedy Store. Nice. So that's happening, and we're also shooting a music video in the next few weeks. So, lots of stuff. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Man. That's cool. Um, all right, so uh, I, it, I think it's time to tackle Jared Hillman's origin story.
3: Yes, we have to find out where he gets that beautiful voice from. How you yeah. so? Came to where
0: are you from? and How'd you get the acting bug? Uh, Ricky.
2: Uh, well, I grew up in New York City. Oh, which borough? Uh, Manhattan. Oh yeah. The City City. The City City, yeah, it was really cool. Um how to catch the acting bug. I don't really know. I mean I just was always you know, really young, just interested in creative stuff and make believe and drawing and characters and all those great shows that, you know, were targeted at us kids in that day and all those heroes and stuff. And uh I said to my parents, you know, oh I wanna I wanna make movies. And they looked at each other, not knowing, you know, what to do with that information, really. But you know, a lot of kids were finding their after-school activities. So, my parents uh, thought maybe, you know, an acting class, a kids' acting class, might be creative after-school activity for me, and asked me if that was something that I would be interested in. And I said, yeah, that sounds really cool. You know, I'd be I'd be playing make believe and dress up, and you know, making. He man costumes on my own anyway. So why don't I, you know, join a group of kids and we can all play, uh, you know, pretend, basically. But I went to this class and the acting teacher told my mom, you know, he's got, uh, I don't know, a natural thing or something. Can I send him on some auditions and sort of be a manager for him? And so my mom explained what that was to me. I said, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. I'd love to do that kind of thing, be on stage and do this kind of make-believe performance. And... um, And so I I booked a couple of off, off, off Broadway plays when I was, this was probably about eight or nine years old and, and uh, yeah, really young. And, um, and then from there I got, you know, more legitimate manager who represented me through those agencies that I was mentioning with the voiceover and commercials. And, you know, I didn't work very often, but I auditioned a lot growing up, um, my life was pretty normal as far as like being, you know, the, t- the taboo of a of a child actor. You know, I was at a very normal like kind of school life and friends and whatnot. But I also, you know, cro- all across those years of growing up from then forward, would more than occasionally go out on auditions for all sorts of stuff, um, and it was cool. I mean, there was a lot of not getting picked, you know. And my mom prepared, you know, sort of tried to prepare me for that. And it didn't really feel like rejection. It actually just felt fun that I was getting to audition for this stuff. It didn't feel like they didn't want me. You know, it, it was a very different mental space then as a little kid than it is now. You know, now I feel like I overthink all the factors as to what went wrong. Why was I not picked? And the rational part of me tries to, you know, calm myself and say you can't know any of those things and there really is no one reason. But as a kid, I didn't think about it. I just enjoyed doing it. And I auditioned for some stuff like like Hook. Uh, what? You know? Wow. The kid in Hook. Um, Run
0: Home Jack. <laughs>
2: Run Home Jack. Yeah, exactly. Ah, I wish I remembered what the audition scene was from that. But I remember being at the audition and like, there was a rumor in the waiting room, you know, this is a Steven Spielberg movie. And I was pretty young, but I knew who Steven Spielberg oh, was. Yeah. And then they said, yeah, and it's with Dustin Hoffman. And Robin Williams. And I'm learning this just in like, as a rumor in the waiting room. Wow. Um, and I remember telling my mom, you know, they just said, oh, they just said these people are in it, it's Spielberg. And we got really excited. And we told my manager, like, turns out this hook is actually a Spielberg movie. And the manager was like, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's a, well, you know, that would have been exciting news to know beforehand. I guess she had her reasons for yeah, withholding yeah. the information. But to get nervous too nervous. Maybe, yeah, it really could have been that. But yeah, there was a lot of stuff. I auditioned way more then than I do now. But I worked a lot less often than than I do now. I don't know what factors contribute to that, but that's just an observation that at least has been the case for me. And then from, you know, I've just always sort of been very lucky to have representation and go through my teen years at least having, you know, a foot in the door, having had my SAG card since really young. And when I moved to Los Angeles... Uh, eventually you know i already sort of had those fundamentals established really really lucky to have that, had that because i wouldn't know wouldn't know where to get started but as it turns out when i moved to la the manager who was just you know basically a two person operation in new york had a one person operation here in california so i had a manager and that, that was her and she introduced me to a couple agents and One of them took me on, luckily. I mean, I realize now how lucky that was, because then it was just kind of, oh, that's what you do. You know, it just had become such a given in my life somehow. Um, But luckily they took me on, and I actually booked a gig within the first week of L.A., and I thought, oh, my God, this is it. This is the place to be. Everything's going to be golden from here. And I'd like to say that I've booked a gig every single week since then. But that is, of course, not the case. <laughs> that was on a Nickelodeon show called The Amanda Show, oh, which yeah, was like a sketch comedy show with Amanda months. Bynes. Yeah, that was my first gig. And poetically, uh, this past year, I actually did another gig in the same studio with the, from the same casting director, Krisha Bullock. That was also Nickelodeon Dan Schneider show called iCarly. So I've kind of oh, either come full circle or I've just not gone anywhere. It depends how you <laughs> want to look at it. But it, was, it, 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 it really is more full circle because that was my first kind of couple lines uh, on a show. And then this most recent um, Nickelodeon appearance on iCarly was like a guest lead really central to that episode. So it really felt like a nice, you know, a nice benchmark. in.
3: So, did she remember you from that? The, the first time or no?
2: Uh, Well, interestingly, when I had my pre-read for iCarly, it was with the associate and the assistant, and not Krisha herself. And the associate and the assistant, were, were I just really distinctly remember how collaborative they were. Like, they stopped me at one point, and they really loved one thing I did and wanted me to go back to the beginning and sort of infuse that same sense and energy into the whole thing. And I don't think, you know, had they not taken that kind of you know, active position in that first audition. I don't know that anyone who ever saw my tape after that would have liked me at all, you know? So that was pretty instrumental in getting that part. And then when I did meet Krisha, uh, re-meet Krisha at, at a table read, um, you know, I I, I I at least felt that there was some kind of familiarity. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really know if it played a part into getting it. And certainly Dan, the creator of the show, um... You know, he had done so many episodes of television and cast so many actors between the first, you know, time I sort of worked for him and the second time. There was no way he, I would expect him to remember. Um, but it was it was also nice in, the way, in that way because, you know, for me it was special I was returning there. And, but I was also kind of in a, in a position to you know, make my first impression again, you know, and this time in a bigger role, so... It was okay that they didn't necessarily recall with the same uh, clarity that I did of knowing exactly that I'd been in that room and I'd been on that stage. And it was also interesting because I, in that first gig, I remember they handed me some script revisions, and I said, "Oh, are there any changes to my part?" And the the second AD or the AD at the time was like, "Well, that's your job. You know, like you look that up." (laughs) I was eighteen. I was like, "Oh, okay." And the fact is, it is my job to go through and find out if there's anything different. But it was funny. That was definitely a pretty, a pretty um, indiscreet lesson that that was part of the job of an actor. Getting a set is reviewing the latest revisions and making sure you're, you know, you're up to date.
0: So uh, just to backtrack a little bit, did your parents come from a creative background?
2: Um, well, my mother did. Yeah, she had been a photographer for a little while and she, when I was young, was a copywriter in advertising. And so I was around that a little bit. Mm Um, uh, my dad had been, had been musical in his youth, but he didn't have any kind of a creative career. Mm -hmm. Although he was in commercial real estate, which for a while I thought had something to do with TV commercials. (laughs) Um, but I think, you know, more so for my mom, I would hang out with her at her, uh, ad agency jobs sometimes she did she worked on campaigns i think for lucky charms was one that was relevant to us as kids you know that i was more excited about but yeah i think that's where part of my creativity came from
0: right well i mean i think it's it, it's interesting to me that they were early on just saying oh he's into acting let's let's support that early on i mean most most parents were just kind of like well, oh, let's have him play some little league and run around and yeah no there it's true that,
2: it's yeah. true. I, I did like you know I did a sports group kind of after school thing for a while, but I was never really into into sports right, and so I think they just sensed that I needed more of a creative after school thing and I had taken some some art classes, and uh, I liked that, and so when the acting class was a suggestion, it just you know kind of made sense, and I don't even know that I really liked the class. So much that I would have continued with that particular kid's class for very long. But the way that things in your life tend to just lead to another thing and, you know, it's interesting looking back on it, but that class was sort of the first key step to having any kind of representation and any kind of little cracking open the door to trying to do it professionally. Even though I was only a kid and didn't really think of it as, you know, a job, it was still, you know, it was still sort of a key step to now having it as a career.
0: Mm-hmm. So what prompted the move from New York to L.A.? Because it's not like you were coming from, like some of our guests, like Smallville, USA. You're coming from a city where there's presumably already a lot of work available to you.
2: Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, I I, I mentioned that I, I really didn't work very often. Even though I was auditioning, I wasn't working a lot. And um, when I was 17... Or so uh, I would say, like junior year of, of high school, I went in on just another audition for a re- series regular on a pilot. And what I would give for series regular auditions on pilots now, you know, the, you know, you really cherish every single one. And back then, for a combination of factors, including just the fact that I was more naive at that age, but also for some reason, I got out on a lot of auditions. I don't know if it was because I was in New York or because of that age or because of my agency, you know, You again, you try to, like, find the reasons, but you never really know. Um, so I just went on yet another audition, and not long after, they said, oh, great, we're flying you to California for a screen test for that pilot. And it had been close to 10 years of auditioning for things, and never had that particular scenario come up before. And I had started to feel like... Well, you know, I'm auditioning for a lot of things and I was getting older and starting to recognize am I not, you know, as I was a teenager, starting to recognize am I not working because of something that I'm doing or, you know, that I'm not fit for this. So at 17 in that junior year, a real pivotal time when you're trying to figure out, like, what are you going to do next year? All your friends are going to college. I'm definitely planning to go to college. Here I was in that spring getting flown to L.A., To screen test at uh, Paramount Studios and NBC and I didn't get that pilot and I went back to New York and they cast someone who was from here and uh, but it was a great exciting experience to like you know get here and be picked up at the airport and be driven to the studio I mean that is the stuff of you know dreams right and it was just at that perfect moment when I was deciding where I wanted to try to go to college I had already developed an interest in doing film, short films and videos and things, so film school was definitely something I was looking into. And uh, I think that screen test experience made me feel like I want to continue to act while I go into college, but just try it in a new town. You know, you know, not necessarily stay in New York City where I lived my entire life, um, but also feeling like, there were maybe more opportunities in L.A. Um, Certainly at that time, episodic television was less prevalent in New York than it has become since. Um, So now there are more series. Back then, it really was strictly a couple of Law & Order shows, and I don't remember if Spin City was on at the time, but there really were probably less... You know, soap operas aside, there were less than half a dozen episodic shows by my estimate filming in New York where once in LA, I mean, literally that first week, I auditioned for more than that number of episodic TV shows and it was fantastic. Um, so I just felt like there were more things to do here. So I ended up going to USC and studying film production there as an undergrad. And, you know, while I was studying behind the camera stuff in school, I was pursuing acting outside of school.
3: So you had any choice to go to NYU at all? Or is it just that whole thing where you just get out of New York?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely considered NYU f- for a long time. Um, because I'm I'm close to my family. I didn't really want to move this far away. Okay. If there was some kind of middle option, I might have taken it. Um, and I had gone to NYU film for a high school summer program. Oh. And so that was cool. I had gotten that experience. And uh, ultimately, I think I just wanted a new... A new geography to to check out, and so that's why I came to L.A.
3: So, did you uh, drive a car? Did you learn how to drive a car, or are you one of New Yorkers that when you came here?
2: Yeah, I actually did learn to drive a car in New York. I was just talking about this with someone because a lot of you know a lot of people who grow up in New York don't learn to drive a car. My family always spent a lot of time, like even on just like on the weekends outside of the city, so we always had a car. And my high school was outside of Manhattan. So, at different times in my life, that meant school bus or the subway. And then by senior year, people were driving, so I took driver's ed and learned to drive, partly in Manhattan, but partly in some neighboring, more suburban feeling areas. So, I wouldn't want to drive in Manhattan
1: now. Um, you said as a as a kid, you did a lot of like theater stuff, correct? Um, would you, if you could pick? I don't know when the last time you've been on stage if you could pick between live live theater and like acting in front of the camera, what what would you actually prefer? Or is it both?
2: Um, I think in my life it's I've kind of I've had different my preference from one to the other has changed, has kind of gone back and forth a little bit. But I was always I was always really into drawing and painting and sort of the visual aspect of performance. And so I liked that about film a lot. I liked the composition of film, the control of the frame. That was something that I really was interested in, in sort of those teenage years as I was, as I was starting to develop that interest in filmmaking. And then I think that informed more in, my interest in acting for screen, over acting on stage. Um, but then, as I've gotten older, I've started to appreciate you know going back in the reverse and thinking more about more about the uh you know character interaction and the actual like the more of the interpersonal drama, even if it's a comedy you know the interpersonal drama of a story and that can be explored just as well in in theater as on you know as on film so my what I'll admit was sort of a bias towards filmed entertainment and filmed acting has definitely dissipated where I sort of have sort of, I feel an even appreciation for both. Um, and I think as an experience of, from actually have, you know, being in either, they just sort of have different, different ups, you know, pluses and minuses to both. I like when, you know, being on a stage and going through an entire story from, you know, A to Z in that experience as an actor, there's something a little more free flowing, um, you know you have to hit marks on stage, but it's different than if you're doing take after take of having to hit a very precise mark to hit focus on a close up There is something about that that you people don't really think about, including myself. you know when you start watching movies and if you're inspired at all to like be in a movie or be an actor or be creative in those ways, there is a lot of very minute detail that is not exciting, you know that you have to accomplish in order to get a finished appearance to be exciting and to be literally sharp and also just, you know, that, you know, engaging to people. Um, so at times that takes away from the fun of on-screen, care, you know, on-screen acting. They have their ups and downs, i say. To, in short, to summarize, uh, I like, you know, I like them both, but they have, they each have benefits. Okay, cool.
0: So we'll talk about your experience at USC. <clears throat> Was it like this great turning point in your approach to acting at that point in time or
2: yeah you know I, I enjoyed going to usc and um i was in the undergraduate film production track and uh it was it you know we had a little bit of a general education requirement sort of heavier at the beginning of school in the first year year and a half and then as it got to the end of sophomore year it was more you know, more exclusively film-related classes. And they were pretty much semesters spent making making things, you know, and that was really cool, right? You know, I was able to... There was a little bit of a lecture component and you were getting a sense of film history and and stuff like that. But you also spent a lot of your semesters making something, you know. Whether, you never really made a thesis as an undergraduate, which... Everyone knew going in, but I myself didn't know how disappointing that would be leaving you know You kind of knew that was the way they ran things because they told it you in orientation, but uh, that's something I would have liked to have done. Was at least something that we were making felt really like our own piece that had dialogue. You know they were very focused on learning elements of the of the craft by restricting other areas of the craft, you know? And, and I can see the benefit of that, but I feel we we a little bit lost out by the end that we never really exercised everything, at, you know, all those things together as a director. I was actually really lucky because I and a couple friends found a new class that was starting at the end of school um, that was a two-semester course that was going to produce... An original one-hour drama pilot. So that was a great opportunity because we were doing about 46 to 48 minutes of original content, whereas otherwise the longest undergraduate projects were about 12 minutes. And uh, while I didn't direct the whole thing, I was able to be the director of one act of that four-act pilot episode. And we sort of treated for production purposes each act of it as an episode so that each one had a different director, each one had different writers. And yet as, a, as an entire team, which was um, comprised of undergrads and grad students, um, we were all creating the one-hour pilot. That was that was a great, you know, that was one of those great class experiences that you came away with. Um, and as an actor, you know, it was great for me to be able to be in school and have a structure to your life and have a structure to your creativity and know you had deadlines and focus and stuff while outside of school being able to do the acting. Meaning, inside of the school gave me structure, I was learning things about, you know, being on sets and the craft of filmmaking, and I was able to fit, luckily, I was able to fit acting and auditioning and shooting stuff professionally outside of school into the schedule of uh, classes, luckily.
3: Did you ever miss out on anything, do you know? Or everything just kind of worked out?
2: I think there were probably a few occasions where I had to miss an audition or I had to miss a class. And just on a case-by-case basis, you know, I would, you know, try to work around it. And then if it couldn't be worked around, just choose whatever was the highest priority. And I will say, even through high school and college, like professors, for the most part, were always pretty supportive. I think it was important to me to prove when I was in school that I was on top of it and that I was, you know, I was, took it seriously. I was a pretty good student so that when I needed an exception made that, you know, the teachers would trust that I would, uh, that it wouldn't really interfere with my being a part of the whole curriculum, you know, the whole process of the class.
0: So, when did you decide that you wanted to direct in addition to acting?
2: Um, I guess the first the first real like videos that I can remember making were around fifth grade. I remember bringing my camera to school and starting to make some shorts, like at recess, even with some friends and. That hobby just sort of grew as I was a teenager. And we didn't really have a video program in the school at that time. But one of the art teachers I knew was starting to spearhead one as I was there and going through it. So I was sort of creating that with him. I don't mean to say I was setting what the courses would be, but in that I was one of the first students taking them and having that kind of dialogue and relationship with that teacher, you know, I felt like we were making a film course kind of and yeah it was just that hobby growing as i was a teenager that i don't remember the point where i said that this this could be my career but i certainly grew up in that environment where you know you could be whatever you wanted to be and anything was possible and uh you know i don't know if that's true anymore <laughs> but but i definitely i definitely was never questioned that that could be the case so um and also with acting at the time, it never really felt like such a distinctly different pursuit. It really just felt like, oh, I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to do these different things. Get in the show business. I'm going to go to showbiz, kid. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it felt. So I, I did some, you know, I took some classes in film. I did, you know, I did that NYU program. I did another program. And, and I was just, I, I just always had a video camera. Anytime any teacher gave us an assignment to do something, no matter what the class or the, or the subject I always asked if we could if I could do a movie about it. I did a movie about um in 8th grade I did a movie about Archimedes the uh mathematician because everyone had a mathematician ex, you know assigned to them to explore their life and their achievements and you know I, I and a friend made a little movie. I don't know if I don't know if you know the Archimedes story but he's the mathematician who um discovered I guess a formula for finding the buoyancy of things and density of things, and the way he did that, at least by legend, is that he was asked by the king to, to 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 figure out if his crown was real gold or if he had been somehow scammed by the by the smith who put it forged it or whatever. And after racking his brain on how to figure out if it was real gold, he filled his bathtub to take a to take a soak. And uh, he, you know he filled it too high, sat in the tub, and it overflowed the exact amount of water that he would displace. And so he ran through the town, purportedly naked, screaming "Eureka! I have found it!" And he goes to the king and say, "You know, your crown is is fake. It's not. Uh, it's not real gold." Somehow he connected the density. I know I missed a step, but anyway, <laughs> that was basically the story. We then put to film. So, so uh,
3: somebody was running naked in your film.
2: Uh, yes, and actually. Uh It was my classmate who was my partner on this class project who was playing Archimedes, but uh we he never he never was naked and it never came up. I just sort of discreetly when he wasn 't there set the camera up and shot on a tripod my own legs. While holding my shorts like up around my groin, so that you couldn't see as high, so that there was enough enough bare leg as you could get on camera, and I ran and did like a, a like a naked leg double scenario. So it was my friend as Archimedes, and I was just doing the the naked run just through just through my apartment, you know, just across wherever the camera, without having anyone operating it, because you know I was. not in a position to have other people in the room and just ran across and played it in slow motion. I remember that friend of mine came up to me after the movie and sort of asked me about that. What the fuck was that (laughs) with the legs?
0: Is that that footage still around somewhere? Uh,
2: I definitely have at least one VHS copy uh, in my my (laughs) old stuff. (laughs) It's got those great kind of purple and gold stripes of VHS wear and tear, <laughs> yeah, you know, as you watch it. And, and because I was running it, and you know, I had done editing deck to deck and I had done it in slow motion, good. so it really had all this artifacting that, you know, you hopefully don't see anymore.
3: That's pretty crazy. Just, uh, just you know, uh, <laughs> movie making at home, just like, you're, you have two TVs and you're just, I don't know, yeah. Just, oh,
2: yeah. yeah. I can't believe we even... I can't believe it was done that way. You know, it's so amazing because my class at USC was the last class to do our intermediate sixteen millimeter films and edit them not digitally. The very next semester, everything was digital and editing. Um, but we were the last class to actually use a splicer, and and uh, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, the, the, on the one hand, it's like, oh, that's great because you really know the fundament the fundamentals of how film editing began and you understand, you know, what that means. You know what it is to feel film in your hands. And their hands are like, fuck that, you know. <laughs> it, it's so obsolete. I, I, the people who go through school now don't even really know that that was ever the way it was done. And you know how they're talking about, like, the Twitter generation gap and people who don't know that the Titanic was real and who was Dick Clark? They also don't really know that there was, like, film. And you cut it and you taped it and it ran through, you know, and that's that's an interesting phenomenon but
0: I, I did it once. With how bad the last Final Cut <laughs> What's that? Is, the last <laughs> of Final Cut
2: you know, I've only heard about its sort of regression. I haven't actually dared to put my hands on it because I just like the old one, and that's what I've tried to stick with. At some point, I'll have to maybe "quote unquote" upgrade to the <laughs> new, no. the new worse version.
0: I, I hear it's like super iMovie.
2: And I can't use iMovie. I don't know what it is, but I cannot understand iMovie. It's the opposite of intuitive oh, with me. Absolutely. I just don't get it. And and I think Final Cut is so is great. I mean in, in USC we used Avid and there's enough similarity between those two. I mean fundamentally they're the same even though some of the commands are different, but iMovie I just I I I don't I don't iMovie.
0: And it's weird because it's supposed to be meant for like the average person of the guy who wants to cut footage of his kids play or whatever. Totally, yeah. Super complicated.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think that actually might go back to that the fundamentals of film cutting and stuff like that. I feel like Final Cut and Avid, the way they're set up is very intuitive to the to what it was like to have films. Yeah. You know, even even though they're light years beyond in technology, you know, visually and and operationally. I, I don't know. They just feel like the way that you cut old films and put them together. And I think those timelines are just miraculous and very, very user-friendly and clear. And then with iMovie, I don't I don't know what that's... I don't know what inspired that. I don't know why that felt like it was going to be easier for people. And maybe it is easier for people, because they've obviously continued to make
0: it. I don't know. So what was... Uh, I'm sorry, Conrad?
1: Oh, uh, my My question was, you know, like you've been Acting since you were a kid, you've been in, you know, quite a few things. Um, has there been an actor director that you've worked with where, after you finish, you're just like, wow, that was such an incredible experience, and it was good or was bad? Like,
2: yeah, you know, one of the things I've liked about the whole experience of acting thus far is, you know, each experience individually is pretty different, and that has to do with how much one-on-one. You get with the director, and uh, or even with you know getting to know the cast. And as as someone who's happens to have a resume of guest appearances more than anything else, your interaction with those other people on, in, on the crew is a little bit limited. Um, but you know one one instance that stood out to me with a director was actually another was an actor director who was directing an episode of the show Joan of Arcadia. He was on CBS a few years back already. Um, but he's an actor, Rob Morrow, and you know, he's on Numbers. Um, so he directed, you know, he's directed a bunch of episodes of TV. And he did some of Joan of Arcadia and at least this one episode that I was in. And it really stuck with me in particular because my character was a nerdy A-type sort of overachiever. And I certainly had a little of that overachiever gene in me from my own high school experience. But he was someone who was getting bullied, this character, a little bit, particularly in that episode. And Rob came to me and said, play the strengths. And you know, I thought about that a little bit, and I realized it was important. I realized that sometimes when you're playing a character that you first sort of analyze as being... A victim, and you see in the script, oh, he's being bullied, or oh, he's nerdy, and you put these kind of labels on, you know, those labels may be true, and they may be helpful to sort of begin to understand where your character stands in a social structure, like in that case in high school, but the importance performance-wise and acting-wise from Rob was this was this advice to play strength, meaning that even if you're, you know, nerdy, quote-unquote, or uh, you know, or being a victim in that scene, you don't want to play the character as a victim. You're always, you're always trying to capitalize on your character's strengths. And because we're always trying to capitalize on our own strengths in any scenario that we're put in. So um, that was interesting. I must have been doing something where I was coming across as sort of, unfortunately, like playing the victim. And, uh, one of my favorite pieces on my reel is, uh, is the scene we shot probably right after that, um, where I was approaching these high school students trying to get their vote for class president. And I really wanted to play the strength, even though I knew that they didn't particularly like me in, in the school, you know, or that I wasn't particularly cool and was not a front runner playing, playing the strength of really going after that goal and wanting to get their vote and. That that was that was a significant little gem that I remember picking up. There have been a lot of good experiences. That's one particular actor director moment that stuck with me. That's
1: actually really cool. Never thought of it. director to
2: actor. It was actor director to actor director. Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So many slashes, <laughs> slashes and hyphens.
0: So talk about what life was like after graduation.
2: After graduating from USC Gosh. film school, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because it, it illuminated certainly how much of a structure in your life the school provided. You know, you'd go to those classes and luckily in my case you were making creative stuff while in that structure. And then suddenly, you know, graduation happens. What do you what do you do now? You know? How do you take that and, and make anything happen? I don't know that I really have found the answer to that. But, what was it like? I mean, there was a lot of a lot of downtime and a lot of a lot of um, you know questions and worry about what I should be doing and not really knowing where to find an answer. Luckily, I continued to have acting representations, so I was auditioning, so I was able to maintain a career and in fact, that first year after college was actually a pretty busy year for me as an actor it just so it just so happened yeah i know so you know i was able to leave college and have that degree and have that background in film and just be busy as an actor and then you know it didn't stay that busy the whole time and there were periods sometimes very long feeling periods where you know there wasn't either there weren't as many auditions or there weren't you know or i wasn't having didn't have a gig you know in a long time and i started to do some freelance Stuff you know, some freelance videography, shooting some events and some stuff for nonprofits. Um, I was a casting assistant briefly. Things that I could do that were, um, you know, that didn't preclude me from also being able to be available for auditions. And those things are hard to find. Those kind of those kind of jobs. Um, so I I haven't been in too many office settings like that. But more of the freelance shooting, a little bit of editing. Um, doing a lot of writing in that time. I found that even though I was a production student, I found I really liked a lot of the screenwriting classes that we took. Um, or or I should really say that I liked the feeling of writing, But you know, when I was taking those writing classes. So I wanted to continue doing that. And I wrote a pilot in that first, you know, period after uh, after film school. I wrote a one-hour pilot based on growing up in New York. And I brought it to a teacher that I had at USC who... Is a producer. produces TV movies mostly, movies of the week, but also produces some pilots, and uh, he's done some uh, theater work as well. And he was one of the few that I found to be more of a mentor. But anyway, I brought that script to him, you know, hoping hoping to just get some feedback. And I went. He said, "Yeah, come into the office and you know pitch it to us." Incidentally, I had taken a class. The class I had taken of his was in pitching. It was about pitching your ideas and how to do that. So, you know, I said, that's why I, I contacted him and had said, hey, you know, I have this um, I have this pilot. I'd love to run it by you and see what you think. Am I on the right track or whatnot? I said, yeah, come into the office. So I went into their office, and he and his partner sat me down. It was really my first kind of real pitch. And I finished, I finished the thing, and he said, I mean, he looked at his partner and said, yeah, I think we should. I think we should bring you to X, Y, Z companies with this idea. Like it wasn't just, "What do you think? Are you on the right track?" Can you give me some script notes? It turned out he wanted to sort of come on board and take me to pitch at places, and so that was a great, you know, a great experience. You know, somewhat early after film school, and I went. I remember I went to this one company, and it was at Warner Brothers, and you know, they said their hellos, and he introduced, you know, the the, the the producer, his name is Jack Rosbart. He was there. He introduced me to them. We were all sitting around. And, yeah, why don't you tell us about your show? And then I go into the pitch, almost exactly what I had said to Jack and his partner, Linda, and I couldn't gauge any sense of what the interest was <laughs> in the room. I'd been told, like, as a joke in that pitch class, that you could gauge the interest of the other person in the in the room on a pitch, by the angle of their head on their neck, you know? If it was upright, they were interested. But as it starts to cock towards the side, you know, somewhere between upright and, like, 90 degrees to the side, that's that's sort of the meter, you know, completely asleep. And if you somehow get their head, like, lower than 90 degrees off vertical, you, you know, you should probably just walk out. They're standing on their head. And, you know... So I was there and trying to like measure these angles and, and you know, they were leaning, but their heads weren't so, you know, weren't so tilted. I don't know. I finished the thing. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, I'm thinking like in almost every audition you go to, right? It's going to be, thanks for coming. Yeah. Whether you get it or you don't, or you ever hear whatever, that's usually what they say. This guy who's produced a lot of big shows looked over at his partner. Is like, yeah, I think we should do it. And then that was the answer I got on my first uh, pitch at a network production company.
0: and then the show became two and a half men
2: <laughs> It's actually that producer uh, but uh, wow. but it didn't become two and a half men, and uh, it they you know they went off and sought out their contacts at the companies and it you know it never went further than that but
1: that's pretty awesome that was
2: the, that was the up and down of that experience in that first kind of, first phase out of out of film school writing something right
1: That is awesome man
2: Oh it was it was That's very so exciting cool. for, at the time It was interesting also this is more of like a little anecdote about media history at a certain point rather than anything current but it was a teenage show and it was we were pitching it in this year when the CW uh incidentally had sort of decided Oh, sorry. It was the WB. And they had sort of decided they didn't want to be the teen network anymore. Oh, we've got a visitor.
0: All right. Uh, we're back from interruption. I'm sorry, Jared. Please continue your story. <laughs> <Is> your, <laughs> back in. Please continue.
3: We're uh, we just like a follow-up to that question? Or yeah. It's, it's,
2: I, yeah. I was just going to say, what was interesting about that particular time and pitching that particular show Was it was a teen show and it was this year when the WB and UPN were still separate and the WB was making a conscious decision to not be the teen network. Uh And they did a show with Melanie Griffith, I think, was one of their shows and uh, I forget what else their programming was but they quickly, either the year after, went back on that decision to be teen or they then merged with UPN. It was something right around there to be the CW. It was maybe, you know, bad timing to be pitching a teen show incidentally but
0: hmm. so in retrospect considering what we have available to us now would you have gone like the web series route perhaps if if that had been available to you or you would have just, uh, gone?
2: yeah it's possible that i would have i don't know you know it wasn't really it wasn't big then mm-hmm. yet so it wasn't I guess I've never really thought about whether I would have adapted that into like mini episodes. Um but yeah, I mean it's a great it's a great option now to if you have that kind of serialized idea and you really want to put it together. Yeah, that would be a cool idea. This one was specific to New York and I you know I wasn't living in New York anymore but um you know, it it could be the thing where I would have gone back to New York for a little while and tried to shoot a bunch of these episodes. Yeah, it's a good option.
0: Okay, well, um, let's start to wind down. Um, I'm sure everyone's curious. What are you doing now?
2: Well, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, What am I doing now? Uh, Well, a good friend of mine, Matt Helfgott, and I have been working on a short film for a little while now uh, called Tandem. And we've just really kind of put the finishing touches on it, completed it, starting to submit to some festivals. Uh, we were just were in Palm Springs for the Palm Springs Short Fest with Tandem in the film market area this past week or this week. It's still there, so if somehow you have uh, access to the Palm Springs Short Fest film market library, you know, check out Tandem. Um, but we're going to try to do the festival circuit thing. We're just starting it. We don't really know what to expect from it. We've never really done it ourselves personally, but uh, we're looking forward to checking that out and seeing what that's kind of like. At the same time, you know, trying to get uh, some contacts to take a look at our film, and it gave us the kind of confidence to build upon it and and make something bigger, maybe even a feature-length film later this year. We basically co-wrote, directed, and produced it together uh, and it was ambitious as far as what production, you know, certainly beyond anything we had put together. And um, you know, as far as short films go, it had some some pretty hefty production elements. And having done it, you know, it just sort of made other things seem more possible independently. As prior, they had kind of seemed like we would need to rely on other channels, other sources, and and this you know made it look a little different. Um, so that and pers- you know, still pursuing acting full time.
0: Um, so, what's Tandem about? If you can disclose.
2: Yeah, Tandem is a 10 minute film about a guy who goes skydiving for the first time. Uh, not the smoothest, not the smoothest trip out, I would say. Uh, we have a great cast. Um,
3: so part of the, was part of the film
2: right part of the thing yeah it's right because it's it's all in the air the entire second act of this of this movie basically is happening in freefall and uh you know between a tandem a tandem duo we've got this actor Craig Zimmerman who has recurred on Modern Family and he's popped up on The Closer and uh, some other shows uh he he's this sort of he's the every man who's going skydiving for the first time and the instructor on his back is played by a guy named scott krinsky who uh tv fans might know from chuck he played jeff on chuck and he's also in transformers the most recent the third installment um they just did you know it was great they did great together they we couldn't have asked for a better combination of of actors playing off each other um and so, yeah, I mean, if you want to check out some information about the film, because the film itself is not available online per se, uh, the website of the film is tandem-themovie.com. And, uh, you know, it, is, it has some information on the cast, the crew, um, and, you know, hopefully if the circuit thing with the festivals starts to happen, then hopefully that'll be where we post information about, uh, about where it can be seen.
3: Well, you had, uh, can you mention who the actress is in it?
2: The actress? Yes, that's right. Uh, we have the lovely Lindsay McKeon yeah. in our film. And Saved by the, Bell, the, new the new class all the way. You know, when she walked in, I, you know, I immediately knew who she was. I was like, oh my God, that's that's Lindsay McKeon from say by the Bell, the new class. And even though, you know, the new class doesn't have the same place in my heart that, you know, the original class has, it was still... Pretty mind blowing to see that she was coming in and, and doing this movie. Um, so she plays the sort of she's the impetus really for this trip. I mean, this this main character Jim wouldn't go on the trip if he weren't trying to impress the family of his bride to be, played by Lindsay. Uh, and I should mention right at this point that we were so lucky to get uh, not one but two great casting directors to get involved with our film. Um, Alan Hooper, who works on Modern Family during the season, and Jason Kennedy, who casts NCIS and NCIS LA during the season, were both going on hiatus, and we contacted Alan first, and he he was excited to do it. And then a few weeks later, he was like, oh, and I'm bringing my friend on to do it too, Uh, Jason Kennedy, casting director on NCIS and NCIS LA. So they were this, you know, dynamic tandem duo, if you will, of casting, <laughs> Dang, and uh, they, you know, they just they brought in a bunch of people and they were able to facilitate our making offers to 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 people and bringing in people to audition and it was that was great and I definitely think getting that getting them on board, another aviation pun, Ugh. Uh, <laughs> uh, was really pivotal to to making this film. I'd say like the first key steps were getting a casting director, getting someone who was going to uh, jump out of a plane with a camera, and we found a great guy named Greg Gasson, who was a former U.S. skydiving champion, and he has transitioned his career into aerial cinematography. He literally has a 35 millimeter camera mount His helmet, and while it takes a little time to like reload and everything with film rather than using a GoPro or something, it's amazing. If you check out his reel online, uh, there's just this footage 35 millimeter footage jumping out of these airplanes. So once he came on board, that was an important step. And then we found these two guys who worked for a big special effects house as their day job, and then they um, you know, we're looking to branch out into some st- some stuff more independently on their own. And they came on board to do our visual effects. So that was the next key step in making sure we could, we were going to be able to achieve this, uh, this skydiving movie. And uh, hopefully people enjoy it when they see it, but it's been quite a, quite a ride. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> These are unintentional now and uh, they're, Hurting my chest, uh, but it really has been a great experience. So hopefully, uh, hopefully there will be further updates with that.
0: Should r- write all that down for the promotional pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: all those little double entendres with, with skydiving. We did we did embrace some of them. You know, when we were going into production, we thanked everyone for you know uh, taking the plunge with us.
0: <laughs>
2: and I want to shout out to Grant who is here in the room because he helped work on. Our film with such uh, such just generosity of his time and 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 his truck and his availability. I mean, he, you know, you were really really helpful. He was he was sort of a do anything, everything you kind of extra need. You know, I mean, to call him a PA would be an understatement, and to call him, you know, just uh, a godsend would be probably more appropriate. It was really really awesome. So that was kind of the story of our film was was. You know, people just volunteering and uh and uh, yeah, you know, believing in it, and hopefully, they had a good experience. And hopefully, you did
3: very good, it was great. I was like, and I got to see it a little, you know, piece of it, and saw it. So, yeah, it was really great to see all that hard work come out of that. It was, it feels good,
2: yeah. Oh, and I have some shots, I have some stills of you that I don't think I sent you. Like, from the set, there's this one pretty badass shot of you leaning up against the two enormous fans that we were using to simulate the wind so that's pretty cool i gotta get you some of those
0: bit of a tangent but how does one become an american skydiving champion
2: <laughs> i don't know actually the origins of his uh of his career but but
0: uh because i thought that like kind of just making it alive and the shit yeah. coming out yeah it's like kind of a win on its own yeah well totally that's definitely true probably, like, human darts? Are they like aiming for targets or something?
2: You know, I don't really know what what um I don't know if or if they do tricks and things while in free fall. Whether well,
3: they're doing, they all get in hands and they do spin. Yeah, the
2: formations. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. know. They're definitely skydiving competitions and it's a big it's a big thing, but I don't really know you're definitely not racing to the bottom. I mean I don't <laughs> think that's the case. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what it is, but he he whatever whatever those whatever you need to excel there, he did. And then, you know, so there was so much a component in that sport of filming the jumps. So then he started to film jumps for his friends or his colleagues and peers, and then he just transitioned his career into specializing into that rather than, you know, the competitive stuff. My guess is there are different there are different categories and like there are with skiing competitions. It was interesting to learn a little bit about the skydiving world and the parallels between the skiing community and the skydiving community, you know? And so I imagine that in competitive skydiving, there are different, there are sort of different competitions. I think he was like, I think he was called a freestyle. Freestyle uh, skydiving champion, and there are so probably skydiving. other times. Like, <laughs> <vibes in> <laughs> like <laughs> these like helium buoys, and you yeah. have to like go, oh, that'd be pretty awesome. I don't know. They're they should really do dangerous. that. <laughs> <laughs> really, these extremely spiked, this almost looks like a video game level, right? These spiked helium buoys in the air, and you have to dodge them. Yeah, I don't think they do it that way. It's possible.
0: They can just explode with paint so you know that they hit them, too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, totally. A skydiver would be blinded before he goes for a shoot. <laughs> <laughs> More fun. <laughs> Another strong close with a wobbly age. Anything Dino to- DNA! <laughs> uh, let's go around the horn. Anything to plug, Conrad? Um. Wow.
1: Uh. A uh, newsroom should be coming out. I think Sunday should be good on
0: HBO with Allison Pill, not Allison Hayslip. Oh, sorry. Yeah, All right. sorry, I said the Direction. wrong correction. But she's a good actress, man. <laughs> she's pretty too, huh?
1: Yeah. And that's it. it? <laughs>
0: uh, no, just Temple Granton. I'm I'm good. <laughs> hashtag I'm good. I'm good. Hashtag. Um, I guess on my end, um, hired guns is still available on the internet so i mean you can google it youtube it go to the website at highergunsthemovie.com um and if you're not doing anything july 24th that's a tuesday i uh, should be doing some stand up at uh, the belly room in the comedy store rape material guaranteed i'm sorry did you say rape or great <laughs> rape okay it's like rap with an e Jared, anything to plug? Any uh any guest bots, recurring guest bots that are making their circulation?
2: No, all I can say check out tandem dash dot com and uh if you want to get in touch, um on Twitter at Hillman Jared.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks for coming out on this fine Saturday morning. Thank you, sir. And uh Grant will close us out. it oh, work oh, I see what you
1: did, you jumped. <laughs>